God bless you all. This is Pastor Isaac, lead pastor here at One Life. Today, I want to close out our series uh, called Toolbox that we've been in the last couple of weeks. And today, I want to talk to you about this topic of giving. In the last few weeks, God has been so gracious to us. We've been able to hear from our own team here and also Gene Impert, who shared with us about worship last week. And what an honor it is to be able to close out this series. And today, I want to speak to you about the topic of giving and specifically about finances. I know that uh, whenever the conversation about giving comes up, we want to make it about some other things, right? That our time, our talents, our treasures. And as important as those are, I want to be very specific today and make it very clear that I intend to speak to us all about giving of our finances. And so if you'll open up your Bible to Luke chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, I'm going to just bring us through this quick word that I pray would encourage your heart. Some of you might feel a little tense while you listen to this. Some of you might um, feel just fine. If there's a conviction in your heart, please know that if you are someone who is a generous giver, someone whose Christian character includes being generous and being giving, then you won't really be offended or feel much tension in, while we go through this word. And so um, I just pray that you would receive this um, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And before we read here in Luke chapter 18, could we just go into a moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful day that you've given us. I thank you for this word that you have placed in my heart, Lord. I pray that you would be now the one to put it on my lips. Father, I pray that you would empty us out before we even receive this word so that you would be the one to completely fill us up. We ask today, Father, as always, that you would satisfy our hearts. Use me, Father, in a manner that would bring us all into conviction, Lord, and to be moved, Father. Not just convinced, but moved to engage and change our Christian character to being one of generosity. Thank you, Father, for your word, and show us your face once more today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 18, verse 18 to 30. 18 says, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And let me pause for a second there. Note that Jesus is being called good by this by this rich man. And what is Jesus's response? His response is, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, especially for those of us who consider ourselves good. It's here, here is Jesus, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah saying, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And in verse 20, he continues saying, you know, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, and this is key here. So if you have your Bibles open, verse 22, Luke 18, 18 verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me note that 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 order right that direction there at the end of that instruction he says after you've given everything you have to the poor and distribute it to the poor 
you will have this treasure in heaven, but then follows it up with come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for, for he was a, an extremely rich man. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Try to picture this. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. And that should fill you with incredible hope. He's saying no one who has willingly left wife, brothers, parents, children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time. That's such incredible hope that we receive here in God's word. So today I have the privilege of speaking on the topic of giving. I'm going to share this message on giving to members of a church that lacks in resource, a church that lacks in resource, but in a community that is by global standards wealthy. And please know that if you are listening to this and you are in the United States of America specifically, or where our church is here in Baldwin, that you are considered by global standards, people who are wealthy, people who, people who do not have much lack or need. As this message has been on my heart for quite some time, and like many other pastors, right, it's it's kind of a dreaded topic. Some people use finances to manipulate. Others uh, just simply do not know what the Bible says in regards to giving. And so, as dreaded as it is, I find Christian giving to be doctrinal, something that is necessary for our knowledge and for us to engage in and obey for those of us who call ourselves Christians. But like many topics, giving is a necessary, like I said, a necessary doctrinal topic. All Christians must give. And listen to my voice. All Christians must give. To that I add that this begins with each of us who leads and serves at this church. This is not just for those who show up week to week and don't give. So at the very least, you should give money. No, no, no. This starts from the top. This starts with us, the pastors, the elders, those who serve week after week. We should never assume that our time of service substitutes what we are actually called to give, even financially, friends. Thank you for serving if you serve in this house, but God calls you also to give in your money, in your finances, and we shouldn't substitute one for the other. They are equally as important. In this text we just read here, though, in Luke chapter 18, we meet a rich man who asks Jesus, how can we inherit eternal life? Have you asked yourself that question before? Like, hey, God, um, is there a, some type of formula that we can engage in that would assure us eternal life? How can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus tells him what to do. And it says in verse 22, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, 
Verse 22, right? Luke 18, verse 22. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But what was the rich man's response? His immediate response was to get sad. And perhaps when you read this with me just now, when you read this instruction from Jesus in verse 22, you feel a little bit offended even in your own flesh. Like, wow, Jesus, you're asking him to sell here. A rich man, you're asking him to sell everything that he has and then also to leave everything else behind and to get up and follow you. That's That seems like a lot. So this rich man responds by getting sad. He asks for the path to eternal life. And once he receives his instruction, he doesn't like the instruction. He didn't want an eternal life that would cost him everything. And how many of us, how many of us feel that, that we long for eternal life, but if it costs us everything, we're not sure that that's something that we want. The truth is that each of us has been troubled in this area at some point, right? And I also recognize that many within the church, and that's the lowercase c church, have damaged what the world sees in the church when it comes to finances, people manipulating, people teaching on finances and giving for personal gain. But regardless of what the world thinks about God and money, it is God, friends. Listen, it's God who establishes his truths about giving. So here's some popular lies that we choose to believe, and maybe you have been guilty of saying this, and maybe you've been one um, to believe this even today, even while you listen to me today. And one of them is the church doesn't need money, or the church misuses my money. The church is always asking for money is another lie that many people choose to believe. Or here, here's a popular one. I worked for what I have. It doesn't belong to God. I have what I have because I've worked hard for it. And let me tell you something, friends. Right now, in popular culture, there's a phrasing that I hear a lot, which is the, the terminology of, of being self-made. Like, no one is self-made. Even if you are a millionaire that became a millionaire on your own, so to speak, in quotations, somebody had to give money towards your project product for you to become a millionaire. No one, unless you have a printing machine, a, a, a money printing machine, in which case somebody had to create the machine that helps you to print, print this money. Now, the point is that no one is self-made. And especially for those of us who know and trust Jesus Christ, everything that we have belongs to him. He has allowed us. Remember that not even a leaf on a tree moves without his say-so. Everything that you have is because he has given it to you. And lastly, another popular lie that we choose to believe is that God can have some of what I have left over if there's anything left. So if I have a little bit left, if I have a thousand dollars and, you know, my eight hundred dollars goes to um, playing on my bills, another hundred bucks for entertainment and, you know, just doing my day to day, going out to dinner or whatever it is of the of the last eight hundred uh, dollars that I have. God, you might have some of that if if I desire to give that to you. So we give God the leftovers. And this is not only true for our money, but. For everything else, like our time and our talents, we give God the leftover. We don't give him from the bulk of our energy even. We give to him even in our gathering, that weekly gathering, that coming together when the church um, 
convenes for fellowship and for praise and worship. We say, God, well, you know what? I've already given my couple of weeks. I've been, I went to church last week. I'll go ahead and take two and three weeks off. And I've noticed that even in the church, there's like this alternating schedule of people. Some people will come one week and another group will come the following weekend. Why is that the case? Why are we unable to devote ourselves to committing to God everything that belongs to him, which includes, of course, our finances, which is what we're talking about today, but also our time and our talents, the things that he has given us to be able to do and the time he has allowed us to be alive, that we would honor him with these things, our time, our talents, our treasures. But in order to contrast these popular lies, let me give you some of these truths. And this is the bulk of what we're talking about today. The first is that giving shows that he is Lord over our lives. Money, friend, is not your God. God is your God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. You cannot be a servant to God. And please listen to me. You cannot be a servant to God and a slave to your money. You can only have one master. God brings us life. Idolizing money brings us toil. And if you have been studying with us in the book of Ecclesiastes, as Ecclesiastes that we just finished studying, you'll note that uh, King Solomon says, like, what, what is the point of all this? All of this at the end of the day, like, we'll all die. And please don't misunderstand me. I think there's a temptation to misunderstand me where you might say, hey, Isaac is saying that all of our money should just come into the church and that we should leave it um, in the offering box or we should donate it via online and that we shouldn't save and that we shouldn't take care of our families. Absolutely not. Because remember, the Bible also tells us that any man that does not take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever so the bible does teach us to save the bible does teach us to give the bible does teach us to take care of our families and to future plan like the this is wisdom that we can also see from king solomon so you cannot serve two masters um Many think that the Bible says here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, that, that money is evil. And that's incorrect, friends. We need the money. We need money to pay our bills. We need money to take care of our families. We need money to pay for this building every single time the lights turn on, every time the air turns on, when the heat is nice and toasty for you to come into the church. This is a need for us to have money. Money is not bad. It says very clearly for the love of money. Love, when you make an idol out of love, that is a root of all kinds of evil. The instruction to be givers is intended to remind us of whom we serve, that it is God and not our money. This doesn't only apply to your church giving, but also to when we're generous in general. When was the last time you gave to a cause, a good cause something that benefited people that were less that are less fortunate than you when was the last time you gave to a family who was poor a family who was in need an organization that served those in the community who are in desperate need when was the last time right now we're engaging in this coat drive and out of the 800 coats that we're longing to collect so that we can go out there and, and make the time worth being out there with our brothers and sisters, giving them the gospel and giving them a warm coat. 
We're only at 149 coats after almost a month of collection. Where is our generosity? Where are we considering others when we say, hey, listen, there are a tremendous amount of coats in my house and I want to keep the ones that are good for me and kind of give away the ones that have been sitting in my closet for three weeks, for three years, excuse me. Like, this isn't something that I want anymore. Like, how is it that we are wanting individually and collectively to provide for those who are in need? Matthew 6, 24 says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And this is scripture, friends. I'm not giving you my opinions here. It's not Pastor Isaac saying, hey, here is what I believe regarding money. Because like many of us who are listening to this, who are sitting in this room, I've also been in a place where I've struggled with money. I grew up with financial limitations like many of you. My mother, I told a story of my mother being a live-in nanny for a number of years while my brother and I were being taken care of by my grandmother who had to come to this country from Ecuador and take care of us. And all so that she would have the money to take care of her children. But even then she would teach my brother and I the importance the importance of honoring God, even with our finances. And even when we don't have or when we lack, we still devote our finances to God and his work. He knows, friends, listen, he knows your needs. He knows your needs before you even have them. But what he longs to see is a devotion in your heart. Do you devote yourself to the Lord, even in your finances? And the second truth is that we should give out of love and not out of compulsion. This is, this is key here because many of us have grown up thinking or being afraid of the whole 10% rule. And I am inviting you to consider that this is way bigger than a percentage. God doesn't want anything from you that you don't want to give him. In the same way that you don't want something from somebody else whom you want to love you, but you feel like they're just giving you these attentions and this love in a compulsory manner because it's a duty or a responsibility or because they have to. No one wants that kind of love. I believe that many churches for generations have established the basis of percentage giving in order to ensure that people are keeping up at least with some of they're giving. And of course, we see the tithe here. And let me be very clear. I don't think that if you tithe, you are in disobedience. I don't think so. If your heart's desire is to commit a specific percentage to God, then I believe you must obey the Holy Spirit's instruction. But check out what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Take your pen out. Underline that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart or her heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Again, that compulsion is like obligatory. Remember that when the whole tithe and the storehouse situation that we see in the book of Malachi, um, God's people existed in a theocracy, not a democracy. And so there were these taxes that were imposed upon the people because it was a religious system. 
But what this is doing here, now we're in the New Testament. Now this is Paul speaking to, to the Corinthians, clarifying that we must give as we have decided in our hearts. This verse is crucial. This verse shows us that God's desire for us to give is not rooted only in duty, but it is sourced from love. When you love, you give. Give to God and his work because you love him and his work on earth. Friends, if you're saving up your money to one day be able to present it to the Father in person, it's not going to work. That money doesn't go with you. You sponsor, you invest in, you love on and pour into. You sow your seed into God's work now here on earth. Now, what I see in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, is the importance of how to give to God. And I pray that you would really take some time to just dig into this portion of Scripture and see what it says to you. But what I do know is that we must always give with joy and always give with love. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Put. That's a key word there. Put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you again. This is in your Bible. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. And I'm so grateful that God has allowed us this time to be able to talk about giving and to be able to grow in what he intends for us to know about what belongs to him. And then we have our third point. We should give to God first from our bulk and not from our leftover. God is too good to you for you to give him your leftovers. He didn't deserve he doesn't deserve your leftover time. He doesn't deserve your leftover affections or your leftover treasures. He deserves from your bulk and not just what you have left over. I want to make sure we understand that very clearly. Learn to give to God from your first fruits. Learn to give to God first before spending on anything else. I shared with some of you that I have learned in my life, and please don't take this as me, you know, kind of flexing on the church here. I'm giving you my personal testimony on how this had to change my life first. But when I get paid and I get paid bi-weekly, like many of you, on the Friday of the second week or every other week, and when I get paid, I make sure I take the time to close my eyes, pray to the Father, and also surrender to Him the first fruits. And I make sure that as I surrender these first fruits, it's done before I even buy a cup of coffee because I don't want to do anything else with my money until I have given to God his church and his work here on earth. That's a personal testimony, and I pray that that would encourage you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. What incredible wisdom from King Solomon. Honor him with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Have you noticed that 
when somebody is growing produce or when you go even now, right, especially in America, you go to the supermarket, what they present to you isn't the last fruits, it's the first fruits, the ones that are the most full and they're shiny. Granted, in the U.S., they spray all these chemicals on this stuff. If you get a chance, please wash uh, your your vegetables and your fruits. And if you can try to take all that greasy wax off, please do so. But the point is that what they're selling you is that first fruit. For those who have cattle, what they what they try to get rid of first because it's most valuable is the calf or the pig or the lamb with the most meat because that is what is precious to them. And so this is saying, Solomon is saying, honor God with that. Honor him with that. But many of us haven't learned this yet. And yes, he is the creator of the universe. His need isn't for your money, it's for your heart. Your giving in any capacity, if done in love and joy, is representative, friends, of your commitment to God. Our giving is attached to our commitment. So that first fruit giving is a time when you can submit your fruit to God and take a moment, acknowledge your gift, pray to the Father that he would receive your gift. And what he says here again in Luke chapter 6 verse 38 it says for with that measure you use it will be measured back to you wow and i love that right before then in that in that same verse in luke 6 38 it says good measure pressed down shaken together running over where you might give a cup that is semi full halfway full because that is all that you have god promises that he would return to you a cup that is running over and that he would place it into your lap that has to encourage you friends and lastly this last truth is that we must give generously and please note that generous doesn't necessarily mean a lot but it does 100 percent mean sacrificially giving within our personal comfort isn't always generous if you're someone who is super wealthy and you're giving out thousands but those thousands are barely a mark on the on the gross of what you have then there really is no impact there's no sacrifice there's no extravagance in your generosity we live with a constant fear however however especially in this day and age, a constant fear of lack, and that reflects in our giving. But this shows a tremendous distrust in God as your provider. Yes, we all have bills to pay. Yes, we all need money to feed ourselves and our families. Yes, we must plan for the future. It's biblical, friends. It is biblical. Paul teaches us how to save. It's biblical. But none of these things should come from or should come before the generosity with which God asks us or instructs us to give. None of it should become an, an idol to us before giving to God Almighty what is His. And you know what's funny about this first story that we go back? If you'll allow me just to run back to Luke chapter 18, this story about this rich man, there's a contrast to the story immediately in the following chapter in chapter 19 and it was with a man named Zacchaeus this rich man rebelled against God when he 
received instruction. This man in Luke chapter 18 immediately rebelled. He showed sadness. And when God said, get up and follow me, he didn't follow him. He showed sadness and turned away from God. And then God says what he says about um, a camel. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, what, what, what a beautiful and poetic way in which he paints the difficulty of the rich getting into heaven. Because he knows and he knew what the response of this rich man would be. But here Zacchaeus in this following chapter Jesus comes into the city and Zacchaeus was a short man in stature. So he climbs up this tree to look out and sees that Jesus is coming towards him. And when Jesus looks at him, he says, Zacchaeus, today I will go into your house. And Zacchaeus invites him into his house. But here's the thing about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And remember in the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the tax collector, Matthew. And we, we learned that the, the problem with tax collectors was that they were thieves they would collect what belonged to the caesar or to the ruler and they would overcharge and they would live from that overcharge but the beautiful thing the beautiful thing about this story of jesus going into zacchaeus's place is that when zacchaeus lets jesus into his house all jesus has to do is come in zacchaeus allows him in because Jesus longed to be in that space. So Zacchaeus had to welcome him into his space. And once he was there, in his repentance and conviction, he says, hey, I'm going to return everything back to the people. But not only what I took from them, I'm going to return that back to them four times the amount owed to them. His encounter with Jesus prompted, friends, listen, immediate generosity whereas this other rich man jesus told him specifically what he required from him and he chose not to be generous but true encounter with jesus invites immediate genuine joyful and loving generosity have you been generous today friends have you been generous as a believer are you someone who struggles with this financial generosity that God invites us into? Because I will tell you this, you will be in disobedience with God if you do not give. And more than giving, if you are not giving generously. And remember, remember, in your temptation to, to just get upset that this is another message about money. No, no, this is a message about love about love, and about commitment. So I pray that you would receive this word, and I pray that this would change the manner in which you give. And when you are able to be generous, particularly to the poor, particularly to the, word, uh, to the work of God here on earth, I pray that you would do so with incredible joy in your life. I heard Francis Chan say the other day, he made mention of the joy that he receives in his generous giving. And he says, I have never seen a generous person who wasn't happy. I have never seen someone who was just oh, like outwardly and extravagantly generous. Be mean mugged, have a mean face, or just be someone who was sour. 
there's something about generous giving that brings us also tremendous joy on top of the joy that we already experienced when engaging in that given. Friends, I pray that you find freedom in your giving today and may God receive your gift, your offering, your first fruits. And I'm excited to see what God would fill your cup with. Remember that running over of the cup. If we do as he says, to give with love and to give with generosity, taking care of the poor and taking care of his church. God bless you all. And I will see you soon. Father, be and remain with those who are listening to this sermon today. Lord, I thank you for this house. I thank you for our church. I thank you, Lord, that you have always been a generous giver. And today, Father, we receive your word and we engage in your word. We bring action to your instruction. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. And thank you that you have never called us to do or be anything that you haven't already done and been for us. Thank you, Jesus, for your example. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Love you all. Mm -hmm.